This is Rosen Institute's Your Law Firm, where Lee Rosen and Ned Days cover management, marketing, finance, and new technologies for building the practice you deserve. Here's Lee Rosen. It's good to be with you today from Bangkok. We've been busy seeing our oldest kid, who has lived here now for about nine years, but we've also been busy doing medical stuff. We saw the dentist, and Lisa is doing some follow-up tests that she didn't have time to get scheduled in Raleigh, and of course, we're spending lots of time and energy eating all the Thai food For us, at this point, doing medical things in foreign countries has just become a normal thing that we do. We've been on the road now for so many years, and we have rarely had any bad experiences with medical treatments in these various places. Sometimes the experiences have been a little weird, but they've all worked out well. The Thai medical experience is probably our favorite because the Doctors and nurses and other folks in the hospitals here, they are just so compassionate. They're not rushed. They pay attention. They do small things that make a big difference when you're a little stressed about the medical experience. I suspect that we'd keep coming back to Thailand for medical visits even if we didn't have a kid living here. It's that good. It's time for your tech tip. My grandfather was an early adopter of all things gadgetry and technology related. I remember him following us around family events with a camcorder so big it had to be slung over one shoulder and required a separate VCR component to be worn like an early 80s man purse. He had one of the first Macintosh computers, the first CD player available in the US. He started using PowerPoint in the late 80s and was so blown away that he could incorporate text and images and graphs into one program that he used it for everything, and I mean everything. Now, this also meant that after a certain point, he became reluctant to upgrade or simplify things, even when the benefits were obvious. If you've purchased your favorite albums on LP, then 8-track, then cassette, then CD, you might be a little reluctant to jump over to digital or streaming. If you've decided that making your letterhead, business cards, and personal diary for the last 20 years in PowerPoint is the way to go, uh, making the shift to something a little more modern is a tough sell. I want to talk about the ebb and flow of technology and systems in our practices. Over the years, I found that there is a necessary cycle of building and expansion, followed by reassessment and simplification. It requires some vigilance and involvement to keep it from becoming a boom and bust cycle, where we start out strong as early adopters and then end up hamstringing ourselves by keeping client records in PowerPoint 95. We can't just be endlessly building. The technology and systems in our practices require seasons of both growing and pruning. Growth is important. Building is important. Sometimes we need to be early adopters or build out things that just don't exist yet. We need to be experimenting with what our clients want and our own capabilities. And it's important that as the tools catch up to where we need them to be, as the demands of our clients shift and as the trajectory of our practices change, that we take a step back and assess our processes and our technology so that we can free up resources and bandwidth for the next growth phase. When you're in the building phase, I think it is worth it to remove any limitations. That's how we move the ball forward. At the law firm, our general strategy was one of building systems internally, then outsourcing them. We did this with everything from document automation and financial dashboard creation to podcast hosting and production. 
This inevitably meant that somebody on the team got his or her hands dirty with the minute details of things so that we had a good idea of how they worked even after we passed them off. Passing them off sometimes meant getting contractors to replace or refine our processes. Sometimes it meant stitching together a bunch of tools to do something that wasn't readily available in a single package at the time. And sometimes it meant having something completely new built or developed for us from scratch. But once those systems were in place, especially if it was something we handed off and didn't have to manage regularly, it was easy to let those systems or pieces of software just become the way things are done, and then stop assessing whether or not they were still doing what we wanted and whether or not new avenues were available to put those resources to better use. Lawyers tend to be a pretty conservative bunch, but a lot of firms are actually pretty good at the growth phase, picking up new technology and taking risks with new ways of working. But if the pruning stage never happens, a lot of practices find themselves spread too thin to continue innovating. And eventually, when something breaks, the whole elaborate tapestry of processes is too complex and too antiquated to survive. I find it helpful to evaluate the major processes and tools in a practice about every 18 months. You might find a different schedule works best. I find that to be a reasonable starting point. And there are usually three questions I like to ask to get a sense of whether it is time to revise and simplify. First is, have the off-the-shelf offerings caught up? When we started Rosen Institute, the e-commerce landscape was very different than it is now. Our billing and subscription functions were handled by about a dozen plugins on our WordPress site that used the Stripe credit card processor as little more than a dumb terminal for just ringing up charges. We needed a lot of flexibility and programmability that just didn't exist in online storefront software at the time. But over the next few years, the options exploded, and Stripe certainly didn't sit still. They rolled out new features for handling signups and subscriptions and sales pages, all hosted on their infrastructure. We decided to make all of our billing headaches their problem. Did we lose out on some opportunities for hyper-specific billing and shopping cart features? In a few circumstances, but we gained back a huge amount of time, energy, and frustration spent on managing our own billing platform and worrying that a random site update might break our payment processing. At the law firm, our internal communication stack was another good example of this. For a long time, we used email threads for sending files and having group conversations between teams, Skype for direct messaging with other employees, and Yammer for general team status and announcements. Eventually, we unified all of our internal firm communication on Slack. That meant we could reduce things down to one app and one account. If we needed to track something down, we didn't have to worry about looking through emails and Yammer messages and Skype conversations with employees who may or may not have been working at the firm anymore. You may have done this yourself with a website over the years. Having a custom-built web page with your own theme and blog and monthly hosting was the way everybody did things about five years ago. A lot of attorneys have traded in the web design agency retainer for a simple Squarespace or Webflow site these days and are happier for it. The second sign that it might be time to prune your tools and processes is a sense of pride in what you've built that makes you feel threatened by other options. I will admit to being a big offender here. I am often hesitant to move away from custom solutions we've developed because I like the control and customization they give me, or at least the illusion of these things that they give me. And to be fair, when you are building out a tool or a system either from scratch or by cobbling together a lot of individual services, you can get it to do exactly what you want. 
But you also need to be asking yourself, if somebody makes a turnkey tool that does 80% of what you want, that takes all of the support and development pressure off of your shoulders, that is in fact cheaper to operate, are you better off losing a little bit of functionality and flexibility in return for much greater reliability and decreased overhead and management? This is a call you are going to have to make on a case-by-case -case basis, but I would argue that losing a few features but gaining all of that institutional bandwidth back is what allows us to go into that next growth cycle. And sometimes we are better off using a paradigm that's forced on us by an off-the-shelf product. Is it exactly the way we want to do things in our firm? Probably not, but it might be more in line with the best practices for the service we're trying to deliver. You should be proud of what you've built but don't let that keep you from exploring better options when they come your way. The last thing to be on the lookout for is when it becomes obvious that the needs of your team or your clients are changing. And a telltale sign of this is when we resort to forcing people into a particular method of interacting with something. We have all seen beautifully landscaped parks and green spaces with elegantly arcing footpaths just as the designer intended, and then a big, ugly, straight line of dead grass where people decided to just cut through and take the shortest point from A to B. We can add a keep off the grass sign, or we can explore whether or not it's time to just concede. This might be the services we are providing, or it might be the ways clients want to interact or what they expect from the firm. And it's not just the technology, but our entire process that we're delivering. I was discussing the life cycle of a case with an estate planner a while back, and he was explaining how a huge chunk of his week was taken up by a very specific meeting he had with each client where he and his paralegal, who generally knew more about the plans than he did, spent the better part of two hours going over the details that had generally already been discussed. What if you just stop telling them that's part of the process, I asked, or let your paralegal do it? As it turned out, his setting the expectation of this somewhat redundant part of the process was a holdover from when he was a solo with a lot more time on his hands and a compulsion to handhold every step of the way. The clients didn't really care about it. In asking some of them after the fact, they wondered why it was necessary, but he had talked it up in the consult and the onboarding, so they figured it was just part of the system. We found something similar in delivering attorney interaction for our online divorce service at the law firm. When we first developed the service, sitting down at a desktop computer and using an online help desk wasn't an unreasonable way to interact. But as time wore on, the clients had different expectations. They wanted to email or text, not log into some portal and create a ticket. I liked the portal, mostly because it was already built and didn't require me to make any changes. But if you had asked me to use it, I would have complained about not being able to email or text like a real company. So we recalibrated and made the change. When you find yourself dismissive of requests you would make in the same situation, it's usually a sign that something has to be refactored. So your growth is absolutely critical. By all means, go build it. Be ambitious. Be bold. Push your tools to the limit. And if they break, create something that's better. But don't put those processes and tools on a pedestal simply out of pride. They will get old and outmoded and stop meeting your needs and the needs of your clients. Don't be too proud to let a $10 a month service replace that project you spent thousands of dollars in a year of your life on. Because doing so will keep you from the next great thing. I'm Ned Days, and that's your tech tip. And now for your moment of concise advice. One time I cited a John Grisham novel 
to make a point. And today I'm going to reference Mr. Beast. I'm telling you, you only get the best sources of information from me. This podcast is clearly heavily researched and documented. I read novels and I watch YouTube and you get the best of it. Listen, nobody is forcing you to listen to my stuff. I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. Now, Mr. Beast, in case you don't know, he's a very popular YouTuber. He earns millions of dollars every year from his channel, and he has built this very successful company in Greenville, North Carolina, producing these videos. Now, most of these videos are childishly entertaining, but they get millions of views. This guy, Mr. Beast, the guy behind it all, he's 24 years old. He's worth millions of dollars now. His real name is Jimmy Donaldson. Mr. Beast is running a very successful business with lots of employees, and he has basically cloned himself, at least that's the way he describes it. He brought on a number two person to help him run the company. This person came onto the team, and the new number two moved into the same home as Mr. Beast. They lived together for about six months. They spent most of their time over that six months together doing the work that's required to keep growing the YouTube channel. They never stopped bouncing ideas back and forth and working with one another, and they continued to put all of their time and energy into growing the business as they spent their time together in the same home. Now, obviously, being in your early 20s makes that kind of close quarters arrangement a lot easier and more comfortable. Mr. Beast doesn't have a spouse and he doesn't have kids, so that sort of housing arrangement worked fine for those two guys. Mr. Beast's number two, his clone, can now think the way Mr. Beast thinks. The clone can make decisions the way Mr. Beast would. He can solve business problems the way Mr. Beast would solve them. Mr. Beast truly did create a clone. His number two understands the way that Mr. Beast thinks. Talking to your management team is critical. In an ideal world, you'd clone yourself just like Mr. Beast. I'm not sure that most of us can find the time and the space to make things happen in that way, but we need someone who understands the way that we think so that they can make decisions consistent with our values and priorities and objectives. This number two person, they need to understand and appreciate the vision. Really, they need to more than understand the vision. They need to have so absorbed the vision that they can absolutely see where we're going so that they can communicate it and pass it along to others as the team continues to grow. In a perfect world, we'd clone ourselves over and over again. Our people would understand us. They would get us. They would be able to perform for us on our behalf. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would turn into us or become us. I guess that's what clone really means. And I'd want more than that. I'd want a clone Plus, I want someone who understands me, and then they take it to the next level using their special talents and skills and abilities so that we can get even better, so that we can move to a higher level collectively. But the reality is that they can't do that unless they know what it is that I'm thinking for the business that 
I created. They've got to see my vision, understand my values, know my priorities, be clear about our objectives. But realistically, we just don't have that six months of togetherness. So we've got to substitute for that with what is available to us. We need to spend lots of time and energy helping our new number two get the understanding, get that cloning through lots of upfront conversations in the early days of our relationship. And then as we move forward, we need to talk Frequently, I will tell you that I do it daily. We talk every single day, at least for a little while. And then together, you and your number two, you need to solve problems together. You need to give one another feedback. You need to each understand how the other thinks so that your number two can understand how you would approach the issues and how you would come up with solutions. The reality is that if you're not going to live together, well, then none of that is going to happen without a very conscious, very deliberate effort. Living together makes it happen by osmosis, but living our lives with two-thirds of our day being devoted to living and not to working, well, that makes it essential that we put extra focus on that cloning, on that communication. It won't happen without that extra effort. We need to talk a lot. We need to go to lunch together. We need to see each other, sometimes outside of work hours. We need to take breaks during the day and go on long walks. We need to be deliberate about making that communication happen. If we do that, we'll get better results. Most of us can't do the Mr. Beast approach, but we can get close to that level of understanding if we prioritize sharing the way we think and sharing the vision and sharing our ideas about how we are to move forward together. We've got to prioritize that process of transferring the ideas, the information, the values, the vision, the objective from our brains into the brains of our number two. That's your moment of concise advice. Wrapping up from Bangkok, thanks for spending a few minutes with me and Ned today. We hope you have a great weekend and an even better week next week. Keep plugging away, moving forward, getting things done. You're on the right track. You'll get there. I promise. We're all in this together, and together we build better practices through better marketing, better management, and better technology. Until next time, I'm Lee Rosen. Thanks for listening to Your Law Firm. Visit rosensrules.com for our free course on the 10 critical rules successful law firms follow.